We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in the ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. To another edition of the Rock Pal Report podcast, I am your Bill. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger, and this is your divisional round preview: the Cincinnati Bengals against the Buffalo Bills. Your time, three p.m. Eastern Standard Time, which is a really weird time for a kickoff. It's not. It's the playoffs. Yeah, but it just feels weird attending one of those games. It, it shouldn't because it's the somewhere. playoffs. You're not used to the playoffs. That's your problem. No, well, exactly. That's all of our problem. The place, Ralph Wilson Stadium in Orchard Park, New York. The weather has shifted from last week to this week to today, where they're now prognosticating about an inch of snow, a little bit of wind. If it, Chris, here's the rub. If it doesn't actually get cold enough to snow... It's going to fucking rain. All right. Rain. Rain and wind. And you know who's having a field day with this? The Build-A-Dome crowd. <laughs> mm-hmm. What do we have for a line on this one as Bill, of today? Bill's minus five and a half. See, now it's creeping that way, isn't it? Yeah. Previously, it was Bill's what? My, I think we opened at minus four. I don't know. I don't know what it, what it opened on Sunday. I think it on opened at minus four, and then as the week went on and more became known about Jonah Williams' knee injury, which we're going to talk about in a second, and kind of in-depth throughout the podcast, but it, you saw that line start to creep. Now we're at five and a half, so we've moved a whole point and a half in the span of 72 hours. Now, do you think that that's just because of betting activity? Because I know Vegas does that, too. I... I have no idea. I mean, I would think Buffalo's 
the favorite to win. For the crew, we have Carl Sheffers. It's notable because the Bills have won their last five games that Carl Sheffers has officiated. He officiated the opener in L.A. and most recently the Chicago game. And this is what I love. These conspiracy theorists on Twitter who are like, oh, well, there it is. Sign that the, the, the Bills want the, the NFL wants the Bills to win because uh, of the record. Chris, he called over 100 yards worth of penalties on us in that Chicago game. Makes sense. I mean, we played sloppy football, but also he flagged us to death pretty much throughout the course of the game. On the call, Jim Nance and Tony Romo, with whom the Bills are 6-0. and What do we have, like, I see I'm, I'm already, I'm again, you talk about not knowing, like not being used to the playoffs. I almost asked you what the coverage map was going to look like. It's everywhere. Every, it's everywhere. This Everyone what, gets the game. <laughs> For On the injury front, the Buffalo Bills are the healthiest they've been since probably week two when we lost Micah Hyde. I mean, we're, we're missing Von Miller, done for the season. Micah Hyde, who's trying to fight his way back from that neck injury. Short of that, every single rostered player practiced in some capacity, whether it was limited, whether it was a full practice. Full practices, I mean, it was a walkthrough today. So that could change. You could see, I can hear that, just hear it coming, Chris. No, Isaiah McKenzie was full and now he's limited. Well, Yeah, because now they're actually going to have a practice. But it's noteworthy that Phillips is limited. Looks like he's going to try to fight through this thing. Reggie Gilliam, Dane Jackson, who the coaching staff said even in the wake of last game, he could have come in if they really needed him. But Kyrie Elam was playing so well that they just didn't feel like they had to. On the other side of things, the Bengals are not so lucky. Uh, Alex Kappa, not playing. Well, I guess that's, Chris, is it too soon for me to say? We have to play the game where they're going, well, he didn't participate. <laughs> yeah, he was with his very, very bad ankle injury. They also have Trey Flowers, the cornerback, who did not practice. Uh, DJ Reader, who's just getting veteran rest. And Jonah Williams with his dislocated kneecap. I was telling you before we pressed record that I was listening to my guy Cowherd yesterday, and they haven't really touched on their opinions on the Bills and Bengals, but he did mention that if Alex Kappa plays, Cowherd would pick the Bengals. (laughs) Odd that the game of this magnitude would come down to an offensive guard. Well... It's because he's kind of the he this season he has been their best offensive lineman, and I mean let's face it, Ted Karras, not that great. I mean Ted Karras is their center, and Ted Karras, like look Ted Karras, Pro Football Reference. If I pull his profile up and I look, didn't at, he play for the Patriots? So he played for the Patriots. Okay. He played for so, so he's played for New England. He's played for Miami. He played for New England again in 2021, and then he played in Cincinnati. David Andrews got hurt last year, right? Well, yeah. first he was a guard, and then David Andrews had injuries, so he started 13 games. Here's the funny thing about Ted Karras: we have now beaten him with three different teams. 
Well, I Three get, different teams under Sean McDermott and Josh Allen. We have whooped a team's ass who decided to trot Ted Karras out there at center. So it, he's not great. He's a journeyman caliber player, but he was playing well because he had Alex Kappa next to him. Without him, and this is funny, I get it from Banged Up Bills on Twitter. Uh, someone named Kelsey Conway, who has a blue check mark. I'm assuming she's someone in the Cincy media because she was in the locker room. How do you know that they're not subscribed to Twitter Blue? Well, because she says, for what it's worth, I just saw Alex Kappa still on the scooter in the locker room. <laughs> and, and to which Kyle Trimble over at Banged Up Bills quote tweeted that and said, that's one heck of a high ankle sprain. If it was weeks ago, two week. If it was a week ago and change, and he's still riding the scooter and not able to walk, she also said in her tweet that she saw Jonah Williams walking without the crutch he had on Sunday, but walking gingerly. Chris, if you're walking gingerly on Wednesday, what are the odds you're playing football on Sunday? Not great. <laughs> it's not great, Bob. Not great. As we get in, I mean, pretty much it looks like the, the roster outside of those guys is pretty healthy. All the all the big names, all the key players. If we want to get into this, it is a weird one. Generally speaking, if we were doing a preview podcast, this is the point where I would launch into some drunken diatribe about Cincinnati, the state of Ohio, the literacy rates of that portion of the Midwest. But not tonight. I, I have... Too, I've gained too much respect for the people in the city of Cincinnati after everything they've done for us over the course of the last few weeks. I I don't know. I, I just, for being a petty son of a bitch who has a drunken podcast where I make fun of people and things and places, I don't know. I think they deserve a sabbatical, don't you? Oh, Skyline Chili on the menu for Sunday? Don't spoil the surprise for Mark Smith, Chris. <laughs> it's not really a surprise. We would know that. If you know Mark Smith, you know he's showing up with... I already have it. Yeah. I already have it in my possession. Complete with the oyster crackers from Skyline. Oh, it's on. We should and get... And Skyline brand hot sauce. We should get you like a... Like the like a Costco size package of <laughs> Skyline chili. What we should do is do a blind taste test. Because what is it? There's like Gold Star chili. Is like the other competing chili brand. Yeah, yeah. If you guys know any of the competing chili brands, the Skyline, we'll do a a blind test. We'll a, get Mark in here. We'll do a blind taste test, and then the last bowl is just going to be full of paper clips. And when he puts it in his mouth and goes. Oh, my mouth, it hurts. I'll go, they're all the same. It's all the same. We should, we should, we should do a blind taste test with Mark, and it's, what is it, Gold Star Chili, Skyline Chili, and your chili, and see which one Mark likes see the best. See which one he likes the best? Yeah, see if he picks yours or Skyline or Gold Star. <laughs> I wouldn't compete in that because I fucking hate chili. Which blows my mind. How do you ha- how does a person hate chili? Oh, I don't like beans. That's the thing. Well then, yeah. I guess I guess then you did. I do not <laughs> like beans. Then you're out. Because at that point, what are you eating? Like, meat sauce. Like I'm meat sauce. Then you're eating skylight chili. Why don't you put it over spaghetti and put some cheese on it, you asshole? 
<laughs> well, we had to, See, I, I can't help it. I, I just, I go dark. I, I go to that place where I start making jokes and being snarky. Yeah, well, yeah. I can't be a good person even when I try. Jessica and I had that talk. Cause I think last year she made, she wanted to ask me if she could make chili. And I was like, I'll eat it if there's no beans in it. So she like made it without beans. But then I told and then you took it and put it over a hot dog and said, this is where it should be. Yeah. yeah. And then <laughs> I, I told you this Saturday, Jessica and I had a breakthrough with our relationship because we were going over homemade cookie power rankings, which we should get Ryan Sullivan on for this homemade cookie power rankings. Cause she had made peanut butter cookies which are probably my number one. And then she went through the list of all other homemade cookies you could make and not guess what I would have at number two, which are oatmeal raisins. And she was so excited because most people that she knows doesn't like oatmeal raisin cookies. You mean everybody? Everyone with fucking taste buds? Yes, oatmeal raisin and peanut butter are two of the worst. You two deserve each other. This is why you're... Biz- this is why, even though she's... Even though she's more attractive than you, even though she she uses like half the hair product you do, your relationship works. You know why? Because you two have the same crap taste in these things, in your pastries and your desserts and your oh, your cocktails. Tweet Jim. at us at Rock Pile Report with your thoughts on oatmeal raisin cookies. And if you're coming to the game. Kyle, Kyle Washington the game, actually mailed us oatmeal raisin cookies once, and I had to begrudgingly admit that I didn't hate that one. Yeah, so if you're going to the game Sunday and you're going to stop by the tailgate and you're thinking, oh, I should bring something, make oatmeal raisin cookies. We will be out there uh, probably about 9 to 10 a.m. I'm thinking closer to 9, maybe even 8. Seems a little late. I'm not going to know what to do. I'm going to be like, I'm going to be up at 5 a.m., like Ricky Bobby and Talladega Nights, not knowing what to do with my hands. Get dressed and go. I'm just going to get dressed and end up at the stadium. I already know it. Who am I kidding? Instead of trashing Cincinnati any more than I already have, I instead want to talk about what this game represents for Buffalo. Historically, it's the fifth home playoff game of Sean McDermott and Josh Allen's careers, where they're 4-0 together after this week's win, this past week's win. Indy, Baltimore, New England, Miami. That should make people feel better about it, right? Yeah. And I feel like it doesn't. I feel like people are still stressed about this one, aren't they? Yeah. Cincinnati's been uh, like on a hot streak. Sure. No, there, there, there's definitely that to it. And then also, just in terms of its overall magnitude, this definitely has a bigger feel to it than any playoff game I can remember in a long time. And I've been questioning what it is that's driving that emotion, whether it's you look at the roster construction and you say to yourself, how long can we keep this together? Like, we have a good roster. It's why we were preseason Super Bowl favorites. How long can we keep this together? Cap-driven roster changes that are looming in the offseason. Tremaine Edmonds might not be here. He's been one of our best players lately. What what does next year's team look like without him? You know what I mean? Like these are all questions that are kind of cycling through people's heads. Fan angst over just the number of times the Bills have gotten this close and then fallen short, despite having one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. 
the knowledge that this might be the very last time we as a fan base see the Bills play football, not within, not just within the confines of Ralph Wilson Stadium this season, but this might be the last AFC divisional game that that building ever hosts. Mm. No. I think it's a combination of all these things. But more importantly, I feel like Buffalo, the football team, and Buffalo, the community, I think that there's this over, like, with all of this stuff swirling around, there's just this overarching pressure of just, we need to fucking win. We as a city and as a community and as a group of people, like, so many people have moved on already. I've seen it. I know who you are. Like I, I, I'm just. I talked about it last week. My disappointment. Those of you who listen to the unedited version of uh, Vero Delfino's appearance on our AFC's Roundup podcast, Joey, Joey, yeah, <laughs> Joey Delfino, Joey Delfino, yeah. Good lord. Uh, like I don't know. You heard me openly talk about some of my disappointment with um. Just how people had moved on from a DeMar Hamlin disaster already. Like, I know I know firsthand that these players haven't. I know I haven't. And I can tell you if you weren't there, the nervous energy of this fan base in the waning moments of that Miami game was palpable. You could feel the desperation, right? Like, Everyone in attendance is trying to will their quarterback to a game-winning drive. And just the explosion that happened when he answered the call. He makes that touchdown, he makes that touchdown pass to Gabe Davis, and the fucking roof comes off that place. And then the cheer that went out that didn't even sound like a cheer, but almost like a sigh of relief from 70,000 people at the same time when they upheld the Devin Singletary run at the end of the game. Just just to know that we're moving on and we survived this thing. The knowledge that we lived to see another day, you could feel it. The weight that it held on people. Like, I'm not going to run down the list of atrocities that we've all suffered this year, but we could use a fucking win. Not just a game or two, but something really and historically meaningful. I think it would go a long way. And with that in mind, we head into a matchup with a team going into the 2022 playoffs that has the look of maybe the most dangerous team in the entire conference. Now, it's funny. We did a preview show that obviously the game never got played. And since our last podcast where we previewed the who and what of the Bengals before Monday Night Football, some things have changed while others have pretty much remained the same. And in an effort not to just parrot that whole podcast back to you, I because Leslie Frazier touched on it in an interview this week where he basically said one of one of his uh, media appearances because they asked they said well is your is your game script going to be the same as it was you know is your game plan is it easier to game plan for this game because you were already preparing for them before and they didn't get to see your defense and his answer was we can't get tied up in what was. You got to move past that because this is a whole different game against a whole different team because this is a week to week league. And I appreciate that. So I don't want to revisit too much of what we talked about before. But some of it still like bears out like the Cincy defense still isn't infallible. 
Like I can remember during our last show spending a lot of time going off on the statistical marks that pointed out that, well, they get talked about very positively. The Bengals linebackers and cornerbacks aren't infallible. They're not perfect. Then not only remains true, but besides the linebackers, we got, I don't know, some of the warts of their secondary showed up against what is a really ineffective and inefficient Ravens passing attack, by and large. You look at Eli Apple. You know, Shadobi Awuzie goes down. He's the now their cornerback one. He's had a rough few weeks. He goes up against Tampa and gives up 113 yards and a touchdown. Against the Ravens, Chris, name me one receiver. Not not Mark Andrews, but a receiver. Sammy Watkins. <laughs> okay, name me one receiver who's actually caught five passes this year. Couldn't tell you. <laughs> you watched him in that game give up about, I think it was 70, it was more than 70 yards. <coughs> really couldn't deal with the speed of Demarcus Robinson on his long touchdown catch. And the fact that he gave up three first downs on four other targets with no pass breakups or turnovers. He's not attacking the football at this point. He's more just along for the ride of whatever the wide receiver in front of him wants to do and kind of hoping that the safety over the top of him has his back. And then when you look at what the Ravens are, Chris, if I told you the game script was the Ravens are going to run the ball a ton, you'd think that like that's a no-brainer, correct? Uh-huh. Greg Roman, the running backs, a mobile quarterback. That seems to make sense. The front seven of Cincinnati couldn't do a ton to slow him down. They averaged 4.4 yards per carry and 155 total yards in the ground. And it's noteworthy because, well, Baltimore is known for its unorthodox rushing attack, and that's how they generate. And just good run blocking. and yeah. Patrick McCurry, who if we can ever talk about this, like for everybody who loves uh, – uh, what is it? Juszczyk. Kyle Juszczyk yeah. from the 49ers. And they talk about what a rare physical specimen he is and how he's fast and he can do all these things. Patrick McCurry for the Ravens is 302 pounds running a 4-6. That's not fair. Like, that's not fair that you have an extra offensive lineman that you put in there as a fullback and he can probably go step for step with some of the slower running backs in football. It makes their rushing attack more effective and kind of unorthodox to defend compared to what you'd get from most football teams. So when you look at this, though, Buffalo presents a whole different challenge because we have a better rushing defensive offensive DVOA than the Ravens have this season. We're more effective when we run the football as a team than the team that just rang up 155 yards on the ground on them. And we have more passing threats, which means your safeties cannot come down in the box and provide run support unless they really want to pull a Miami Dolphins and give us shots down the field. It's it's a much stiffer ask for that defense to take on the Buffalo Bills. And I just regardless of the pass rush talent the Bengals have at their disposal, our running backs, Chris, you saw flashes of it at the start of the last game, didn't you? Say that again? Somebody was making fun of me on Twitter. That's that's hilarious. What did they say? 
Uh, there's a tweet that we got tagged in. Somebody said, I live in Georgia. I just saw a man in a full Sabres jersey and hat parked at Home Depot. I ran to his car with my Bill stuff on, and this fella hit me with a windows up, go away, slash thumbs up, most awkward interaction of my life. <laughs> that is me. Uh, I love it. You know, Chris Sims... You know who Chris Sims is? Heard of him. His unbuttoned podcast. I remember during the last game where he talked about how, in the run-up to the last game that didn't happen, how he talked about, well, DJ Reader, BJ Hill, like there's the Bills have no shot at rushing the ball on this defense. On that first drive, James Cook had multiple carries for more than five yards. <laughs> I think that Anybody who wants to just take statistics and try to make this a game of math can get themselves to a point where they believe the Bills can't run the ball in this defense. But, Chris, we have too many weapons through the air to keep you in the box and busy. Our, our rushing attack is predicated on you being forced into light boxes and these guys being able to make hay against it. It's where Devin Singletary has thrived. It's where James Cook thrives. I don't know how this team is going to try to like how I, what the Cincinnati Bengals are going to do. But I, I think that these concerns about us being able to run the ball against them are being over, they're being conflated because especially when I watch the Ravens game and I say to myself, BJ Hill, DJ reader, you guys are great at what you do into your face up the middle of the field. The Ravens running backs average 6.2 yards per carry. That's, that's not nothing. And it's not like it was one or two lucky runs. They did it six times. That's the type of stuff that when you're talking, because see, here's the thing, Chris. You average six, you, you rip off a six-yard run if you're the Ravens. You split their tackles, you, you find a crease, your running back gets in the middle of the field. If you're playing the Ravens, you're watching Mark Andrews and the rest of your safeties and linebackers are watching the running back. If you're playing the Buffalo Bills and we manage to get behind your defensive tackles, who already doesn't have a pass assignment or doesn't at least think that their first assignment should be covering someone? Definitely your linebackers. Yeah, I've seen on Twitter today that they're not that good. No. So with that in mind, I think that the concerns that the Bills can't run against this defense, I think that too much is being made out of it. I will say that I don't think enough is being made out of the defensive back matchups for Buffalo against those wide receivers because this is going to be dicey. Kyrie Elam had a great game against uh, all of them did. You know, Trey White had a great game against Tyreek Hill, who is one of the preeminent talents in the NFL. Kyrie Elam had a great day. We held Jalen Waddle pretty well. I mean, we we kept him from being able to really take over the game. At the same time, this is a whole different animal with T. Higgins and Jamar Chase, isn't it? It is. Now, we might have Christian Benford at our disposal. They may activate him for this game just because of his size, his length, his ability to man cover well. I just don't know how you, like, Chris, you're going to put a rookie on Jamar Chase? Uh, <laughs> and ask him, no. ask him, hey, you've been, you've been off football for a while. Go out there and man cover Jamar. Yeah, that's not a good idea at all. There aren't... I, I heard this a lot. 
I heard this a lot this week. They go, well, the Bills, the reason the Bills uh, I'm worried is because we don't match up well against their wide receivers. Now, I'm going to calmly reach down into the fridge. I'm going to grab a fresh Montucky. And I'm going to calmly and politely ask you all a question. Who the fuck matches up with the dog with the Bengals wide receivers well? Who? Name me a team, Chris, right now in the NFL that has cornerback talent that you say, oh, we could match up with those guys. The 85 Bears. I would I would go as recently as the Legion of Boom, the Seahawks, in their Super Bowl run. That team could probably do pretty well against this wide receiver core. Outside of that, it's an illusion. It's a pipe dream to say to yourself, my cornerbacks, yep, they can go out there and, you know, if we do this and we shade this with a safety, fuck you. That's asking, you're asking for trouble if you as a coach think that that's how you're going to win this football game. Luckily for the Buffalo Bills, we don't have to do that. That doesn't have to become our game for four quarters. Just, hey, double Jamar. and Because, like, Chris, you watch the way people play the Bills. Miami yeah. Dolphins tripled Stephon Diggs at one point on Sunday. Basically just dared somebody else to beat them. You can't do that. and They have three guys talented enough to be a wide receiver one on somebody's team. And it's it, like you're never going to be able to find the right components of double teams and matchups and everything else. They're going to get theirs. They will. Luckily, the Bills have something else working in their favor here schematically that I think could mitigate so much of all this talk about how good their wide receiver core is. You see, because this Bengals offensive line is a storyline unto itself. I could do a whole podcast about this. This time of year, health is just as important to winning is anything else because by and large one begets the other. You have to be healthy in order to win. Didn't the Miami Dolphins just find that out the hard way? Yeah. If your team's not healthy enough to hang, you probably don't. Surprisingly, the Dolphins did, and even that. In the end, they played the best game they possibly could and still lost. The Bills find themselves in a relatively comfortable situation on that front for the first time in what feels like the entire year. I can't remember the last... I can't remember a time until right now where our injury report didn't have at least five or six noteworthy names on it who were either not practicing or limited with some injury that you're like, oh, man, I hope that doesn't make him unavailable. Meanwhile, the Bengals keep taking hits at one of the most important positions on the entire field. Now, I probably don't have to explain this to most of you, but the offensive line for a football team is like a chain. One weak link affects the one next to it. For the Bengals, that's going to be a problem if their coaching staff can't work some magic between now and Sunday's kickoff. These offensive tackle injuries are big. Lyle Collins had experience in that capacity. Playing with the Cowboys, he came in. It was rusty at first, but solidified that right tackle job until he was lost with the knee injury. Jonah Williams, who it doesn't sound like is going to play. Chris, it, it'll surprise you. to How many? Do, do, I guess the question is this, Chris. The way they talk about his injury and how important it is. Do you think he was good before? Well, I mean, he did go to Alabama, so probably not. 
it's hilarious that you that's a joke and i know you're trying to be shitty but you're not wrong chris 45 pressures allowed 13 sacks on the season (laughs) 13 sacks that's crazy I'm going to flip over here. I'm on PFF right now. I'm going to flip over here, and I'm going to look at the pass protection pressures. How How many sacks do you think Deion Dawkins has given up this year? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Nine. Four. Four sacks for our left tackle. Yours has given up 13, and now he's not available. And he went to Alabama. <laughs> I, I almost wonder if him going to Alabama is the reason he's so bad. Think about it. How many terrible... Ta- Chris, Cyrus Quanjo. Remember, yeah. remember when we did that as a franchise? Yep. Jesus Christ. What, the highlight of his Bills career was ending up shirtless in a field? He was naked in the field, I believe. Oh, was he naked? Yeah. Who hops a barbed wire fence naked? That That's how you know somebody's in trouble. Would you attempt to jump over a barbed wire fence naked? No. <laughs> Would you attempt to do... Here's a question. How many physical activities are you actually comfortable trying to perform while naked? Um, or are you like a boxers all the time, must have kind of guy? I mean, what is this, the 90s? He's wearing boxers. Boxer briefs. No, I wouldn't do anything. You wouldn't would, do anything would, loinless? I wouldn't do any <laughs> athletic endeavor naked. So now what you've done is you've ruined the bookends of this offensive line. And you look at the ripple effect of that because that like on its own that's a problem we but, but look in this last week's game we watched Miami navigate that didn't we sure then you look at what's going on in the middle of their offensive line center ted karras he's been okay he's like morse he's a little athletic for the position good in pass protection but is f- very forgettable in the run blocking department garrett uh, volson is a young player who's le- Cordero Volson. He's learning, and it shows. He's second on the team in sacks allowed, second in pressures with 39. It's clear that on the left side, he and Jonah Williams were together the weak spot on the offensive line ahead of that Williams injury. 
He's now basically going to get saddled with a brand new left tackle counterpart, and he has just three quarters of experience next to the guy. Right guard Max Sharping is a journeyman who replaced Alex Kappa, who, as we talked about already, Colin Cowherd thinks the world of. Yep. Realistically was their best offensive lineman. Max Sharping grades out worse than either of those two we just discussed in both run run blocking and pass protection. And while trying to give help to the young kid who's you know, Hakeem Adeniji at right tackle, he himself was credited with two pressures, a hurry, a quarterback hit, and a sack allowed in this last game. So if you take all the offensive tackle injuries like out, out of the equation for the second and consider that this group of players whose job it is to support a Bengals rushing attack that was already one of the league's most inefficient and also give A and B gap protection to the quarterback, which is an, an area that when an offensive line fails to, pr- to provide you routine protection, even Tom Brady in his prime, that was the book. The book and on him and the way to get to him, the teams that did the most damage to Tom Brady during that the dynasty era of them. You know, I think back to teams like the Ravens, who they had just gave them fits because they had Holote Nada who they just didn't have an answer for in the middle of their offensive line. A-gap and B-gap pressure. Hall of Famers can't navigate that, at least not consistently. That group in the middle has just 58 snaps together in live football. And then there's the point I just made about sharpening sacks. See, Volson wasn't playing great football, and that was a veteran left tackle on his hip. Not a great one. But he was a starter that somebody decided was worth a fuck. Uh, 13 sacks, Chris? Yeah. Like now that, now that I'm saying it, I'm looking at this. Dave Questenberry has four. Spencer Brown has four on the season. Deion Dawkins has four on the season. Somehow Jonah Williams managed to create, to allow more sacks than all three of the guys who have uh, played tackle for the Bills this season combined. That's crazy. So if you have that poor of a starter at left tackle, what do you think they have behind him? Not much. On Sunday, the Bengals are going to be fielding a left tackle who was drafted to play offensive guard in a move that seems to almost defy conventional wisdom. Offensive tackles who struggle to play the game get moved inside to play guard. We watched that play out with Cody Ford. And guards who don't have the athleticism to pull on running plays, sometimes, if they're good enough at a couple things and smart enough for the position, get moved to center. Rarely, if ever, do you see a team moving a guard outside to play tackle. That's an indictment of the Bengals' roster construction and just the lack of depth that they have on the offensive line. They just don't have any better options. So you've taken an offensive line that already wasn't strong, before the Collins injury. You take out your other starter, you're plugging in two backup guards, one of whom just seems completely miscast in the role you're going to ask him to play. Against the Ravens, a team that ranks far worse in the front seven statistically than Buffalo, both in run and pass rush DVOA on defense. The result of the shuffling was, you could see it. Jackson Carmen, their left tackle, who is really a guard. A sack, a pressure, and the team got no rushing yards behind him on three attempts. Volson, at guard, allowed a quarterback hit, and the team gained five yards on four rush attempts behind him as the blocker. 
Adenogy and Sharping, two sacks, three pressures, six yards on four carries. They're going to have a full week of practice leading up to this Bills game, but they're going to be facing a whole different slew of problems with this Bills front seven because we're arguably deeper and more talented in the front seven, and it's a game on the road against what I think is a better defensive coordinator for Buffalo than what the Ravens have to offer. I think that level of offensive line cohesion is ripe for the picking if you're Leslie Frazier, and that's how you mitigate these wide receivers. There's no amount of matching up that's going to make this thing different. You just have to make them pay on the offensive line. Don't let them play a 40-yard game. Don't try to... like Chris, if you can take the field and condense it to a 30-yard box instead of a 40- or 50-yard box, it changes the whole complexion of the game defensively, doesn't it? Yep. You can do that by taking advantage of this offensive line. I expect that the Bills are going to run things like stunts, some delayed blitzes with Matt Milano, things like that, to take advantage of this lack of chemistry, as well as a lot of simulated pressures that force the offensive line to try to guess not only where it's coming from, but also how to respond in real time and maintain protection with their counterpart in sync that they have no experience with. How that goes, how that dynamic plays out is going to be a major storyline of how like afterwards we'll look back and say this is what defined the game the other thing we have is joe burrow just being a fucking problem like chris he's not a star athlete he's not lamar jackson he's not josh allen the ravens did achieve six sacks against the Bengals, which i'm sure a lot of people look at and go let i've got optimism about that but if you remember the last Cincy podcast when we discussed that Kansas City sports writers piece about how Kansas City can't sack Burrow because of the archetype that their defense is built around and how their defensive ends and defensive tackles aren't those that can take advantage of the offensive line the way you have to around the edge to get Burrow. How they crush the pocket rather than just bending the edge and coming in with speed. Well, the Ravens have that. You know, Otafio Way, Tyus Bowser, who led the Ravens in sacks with three and pressures with eight, are athletes unlike anything that Buffalo has on the roster and are a big reason why they were able to convert such a high percentage, like almost 40% of their pressures got converted to sacks, which is high. Against Miami, Buffalo's edge players achieved 11 pressures and converted to just one sack. Against Skylar Thompson, who... I guess he's athletic for the position, but he's a seventh-round rookie. <laughs> he's, he's a far inferior quarterback talent. It, it goes to illustrate that the suddenness off the edge just isn't there consistently, at least not in the way that you'd need to, if you're really going to try to do what Baltimore did to their passing attack. It's also notable that if you look at the Ravens game, Burrow only threw for 209, which is a byproduct of lacking protection, which means their vertical passing game just disappeared. If you go look at the numbers, you look at his passer chart, he also posted the third lowest intended air yards of wildcard weekend at just 6.2 yards per pass. Meanwhile, Allen in that game against Miami led the league on wildcard weekend with 15 and a half intended air yards per target. So where our quarterback was allowed to be aggressive when he saw openings, Joe Burrow, who is an aggressive quarterback, 
had no shot to do so. He just had to run and dump the ball off and pray that his offense could keep things afloat. But even with that in mind, his numbers were solid, and he still avoided mistakes. 70% completion percentage when kept clean. And under pressure, 80% completion percentage, including his only touchdown pass of the day. Off play-action passing, Burrow completed 100% of his throws. I mean, it went for 42 yards, but multiple first downs. And they didn't, even though it carried obvious danger, they didn't shy away from the pass. They said, listen, we'll eat a handful of sacks because this is basically how our offense has to thrive. Our rushing game doesn't provide us anything. We're one of the league's most inefficient rushing teams. Higgins Higgins and uh, Chase, a combined 18 targets. They made up the bulk of the Bengals' yardage and touchdowns and first downs. They were still, even with all that adversity, able to carry the offense. They know that they're talented. And so the Bengals aren't going to be afraid to take chances through the air using Burrow's arm and just the absurd talent that they have at wide receiver. And there is no secondary in the NFL that can say their DBs are good enough to erase them. So just because they're beat up doesn't mean the Bengals are suddenly going to get conservative or try to play small ball or try to check down a lot. Use their, You might see the tight end. I mean, that's a wrinkle. I expect to see Hayden Hurst targeted a little bit more than he usually is. They're still, though, going to come out and take their shots, whether it's schemed or just off the back of Joe Burrow's aggressive nature. Yeah, that's the thing. Joe Burrow, Chris, is the quarterback who will stand in the pocket and say, if I can just buy my guy one more second. Or he'll roll out and scramble in hopes of giving his guy one more second and just trust that he can make whatever ridiculous off-balance throw he has to. We watch, our, and people go, oh, it's dumb. Our own quarterback does it all the time. This is what happens this time of year. You meet other elite quarterbacks. And so, in that way... This game is fairly even in terms of matchup. I'm surprised the Bills are a five and a half point favorite. If they're going to make good on it, they got some moves they got to make. Here are my my divisional round keys to victory. Wow, it's a lot of keys. Bigger the keychain, more powerful the man. Chris, do you have anything on this? First, like what, what's something that you think the Bills have to do? This might. Sound odd. They got to win the game. <laughs> they have to. Oh, so you're taking the approach of here's what they got to do. I'll break it down for you. If you they get win. more points, if they get more points than the other team, then they'll have won the game. Yeah, a five, <laughs> a five and a half spread is that's like an odd number. I know. So, which is, I think you, to me, for that, you might as well just take the tut- Bills by a tutty. Bills minus six and a half. Is that the lock pile bet of the week? I mean, we're going to win the game. <laughs> There's no, no question about it. We're winning the game. For me, it comes down to winning the interior line of scrimmage. Even with the issues the Bengals have at offensive tackle, and I think we've talked about this enough, I don't think beating up on their second and third string replacements is is going to be enough to win the day. Burrow has the required athleticism to handle slow developing pressure off tackle. And the Bills have solid but not spectacular defensive end play now that we don't have Von Miller. And that's the reason he was brought in free agency. 
And with the skill players since he has, who can not only beat you down the field if you play man, but in a game like the Ravens, where downfield passing wasn't an option, they can still crank out 100 yards after the catch in order to just keep their offense afloat. I don't think there's much you can do in the secondary to solve their passing attack. You just have to hope you can disrupt it before it has a chance to get off the ground, rally to the ball, and tackle well. At the same time, for as much love as Kansas City gets for its expensive defensive line, uh, just I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a better interior defensive line in the entire AFC playoff field right now. And maybe even before the Bills started, then the playoff started, then the Buffalo Bills. That, in my opinion, is where you have to win. Our linebackers and cornerbacks flow to the ball incredibly well on checkdown passes. They do. Kyrie Elam on Sunday did a great job of rallying to the ball and tackling well, catching running backs coming out of the backfield, sniffing out you know, screen passes and little slip things. Our linebackers are very smart. They're very savvy. They take away a lot of the short game pitch and catch stuff you want to do out of the backfield, stuff you want to do with your tight ends in the flats or in the short areas. We're very good at this, and we rally to the ball as a team with our safeties very well. Throw in the fact that Matt Milano is tied for second in the NFL in quarterback pressures by an inside linebacker, and you start to get a picture of just what a poor matchup this is for for their offensive line versus this front seven. Emmanuel Sanders, former Buffalo Bill Emmanuel Sanders, was tweeting about who he was going to pick this week in his broadcaster pick'em. And he mentioned that he usually sides with the team that is the more dis- disruptive defensive line, and that had him leaning towards Cincy. Their defensive ends are better than ours, if pure pass rush is all you care about. But in terms of the ability to create real havoc, our front seven is far and away better than theirs. Our linebackers are more impactful with their combination of size, speed, and just Matt Milano might be one of the smartest linebackers in football. Like, you hear Brett Coleman rave about him every time he's on the show, Chris. Yeah. He says, uh, defensive player of the year that'll never get voted, Matt Milano. Like, that's it. You look at what they do with their combination of size and speed. For the Bengals, they have two starters, and those are the only ones on the team with double-digit quarterback pressures. Every single defensive tackle on Buffalo's squad who's going to be suited up and rotating on Sunday has at least 11. And if Jordan Phillips is available, the Bills will have the ability to rotate physical attacking three techs. Well, the Bengals are stuck relying on their four starters to do all of the heavy lifting for four quarters. So in a game that could come down to late in the game, it's a tight one. Who can come up bigger down the stretch? I like our chances of proving to be the better overall unit than a handful of this handful of stars the Bengals have at their disposal on defense. And on the opposite side of the ball, right? Like, especially when you're talking about going up against such a beat-up interior offensive line. On the opposite side of the ball, it's going to be the interior line of Bates, Morse, and Saffold. You not only have to keep the integrity of the pocket so that when these pass rushers for the Bengals do kind of win their bet, especially against Spencer Brown. Chris, that's going to be a huge matchup to watch. Spencer Brown against, what, Trey Hendrickson on passing downs? Yeah, That'll be fun to watch. He's been getting his ass kicked by everybody this year. It's not great. I mean, it's statistically speaking, right? He leads the team 
he leads the team in pressures allowed, and he only has 15 games. He has less games than everybody else. It's been a bad year for him. It's going to get ugly over there. So with that in mind, our interior offensive line, who's very good at pass protection, is going to have to give him A and B gap integrity in front of him and give him a pocket to step up into. Just so that he can get away from what it feels like inevitable defensive end pressure. And also help open up lanes around and behind those run-stuffing defensive tackles and get our running backs out in space at the second level. Which I guarantee you, if we can beat that defensive line, there will be room for our running backs to operate. And I'd almost argue that given the nature of our rushing attack and that our running backs average two or more yards per carry on off it, the off tackle outside the edges runs versus what we do in the middle, the more important part of their job is just keeping Allen upright. Be good pass protectors. We'll figure out how to run off guard, off tackle. We don't need those gaps. We just need you to keep guys from around Josh Allen so that he has some place to step up, evade, and roll out when the inevitable off-tackle pressure comes. I think if you do that, he's going to have time to work the ball downfield against what is a pretty decent Bengal secondary. The second key is to have an aggressive yet controlled game plan. The Bills cannot afford to have three turnovers and a scoop and score this week. Can't do it. Now, Sean McDermott was asked by Matt Perino from NYUp.com. He talked about how during the first, you know, this eight-game winning streak he had, I think it was three turnovers in the first five games and like nine turnovers in the last handful. And he asked Sean McDermott, you know, what do you think the recent uptick, where do you think that comes from? And Sean McDermott's answer was, I don't think I've gone to church enough. I don't think I've gone to church enough. I'll go twice this week. First of all, that's hilarious. Second of all, Chris, is this the loosest in terms of how Sean McDermott deals with the media that you've seen him this season? Like, think back all, like, we started doing podium, like, post-game press conferences because he didn't give us anything. He was milk toast. He had no personality beyond the mic. Yeah. He seems loose this season, doesn't he? He does. Do you think that bodes well for us that he seems to have that relaxation to him? That yeah, he's it joking does. around with the media. It does. You don't want to be uptight in this at this time of, time of year, and even though it seems like you should be loose, loosey goosey. One of the things I look at when I when I look at the Bengals defense because they are a good turnover defense in terms of I mean the Bills are one of the tops in the league. When you're talking about who forces the most turnovers, it tells you something, right? That Jesse Bates the third, who they franchise tag this year, and Von Bell at safety have eight combined interceptions and four touchdowns. So that's eight picks and four defensive touchdowns. That's pretty crazy. And it underscores that testing them deep and trying to attack their safeties, probably not a good idea. They don't allow a lot in terms of completions. They don't allow a ton. Like they don't, they don't give you much to work with. So while you want to still be aggressive, right? You, you don't, we talked about it in the Miami recap. You don't want to be the team that's constantly checking the ball down and, because that's not who the Bills are. The Bills are 
fuck it, go long. <laughs> and that's that's your offense sometimes. Because your quarterback genuinely believes he can make those throws. And can you argue with him? No. That play to Diggs. The, th- the throws he did make to Shakir down the field. The yep. passes to Gabe Davis down the field. The pa- the touchdown pass to Dawson Knox where he's covered. That was ridiculous. He's covered. If that linebacker turns his head around, who knows what happens? But Allen's like, oh, that guy's not turning around. Fuck him. I'm going to put it where I'm, I'm going to tuck it into my guy's arm. I'm not even worried if he's going to catch it. I'm going to catch it for him by tucking this thing into his chest. It's ridiculous. That's who our quarterback is. So if he's going to do it, they have to really sit down and have a meeting about this this week. The cornerbacks you can steal on. The linebackers, to a certain degree. Logan Wilson, you can steal on him. Their safeties are something of a problem. It's almost like playing the Bills defense. You test them at your own risk. I think that if they do enough play-action stuff early in the game and as the game progresses, they can probably mitigate some of that. I expect the Bengals to come out, play a two-high shell like everyone does. They're going to give you a lot of things underneath. But you're still going to have to take some shots. It's going to take a little bit of hero ball to win this game. I I believe that you can do that. You just have to pick your spots better than he did last Sunday. And I think the other one, my final key, maybe not the most important, but it certainly feels like it to me. I need crowd energy for 60 minutes. That place has to be the loudest it's been in my lifetime. And it sounds stupid. So go ahead, get all your disagreements and heckling out of your system now. Listen to me, and here's why it make, it's going to make a difference. The Bengals are going to be starting three backup offensive linemen with a five-man alignment that's only played together as a unit for two weeks, and their left tackle's been on the field for less than that. Right tackle Collins injured before the Bills game that never finished. Hakeem Adenogy steps up. Right guard Alex Kappa gets hurt in the season finale. Insert right guard Max Sharping. Jonah Williams gets hurt in the wild card round. Insert Jackson Carmen, who was a fucking guard. And we've already talked about the ways that the Bills defensive coordinator in line might be able to exploit the lack of familiarity they have. There's also concerns with their pre-snap communication. But you don't have to take my word for it. You could instead listen to it from the mouth of Bengals center Ted Karras from his media availability over at uh, ProFootballTalk.com. Chris, do you want to go ahead and read those quotes to the people? Oh, yeah, let me pull it up. This is from uh, Ted Karras. Yep. Buffalo is one of the most interesting and hostile places to play as a visitor, Karras said via Jeff Hobson of the team's website. You drive through the tailgates, and there are all sorts of colorful gestures your way. (laughs) There might be some skin. Interesting things happen in Buffalo parking lot. On the field, it's very loud. That'll be something we practice, that we practice and respect. We haven't gone silent in a while. He's talking about silent counts. Yeah. We'll be back to the silent count with a couple of new guys in there. We'll have to really rep that this week. Oh, there's more. Oh, there's more. I told uh, Cordell we're going to have to lean on you more than ever now to communicate and be able to express what you see with your tackle, Kara said. There's a certain element of communication when a couple of guys are out, but 
we're going to get it done. Chris, a lot of his, and there's more. If anybody wants to go read it, the rest of it's over at profootballtalk.com because they made a point, and I, Ryan Lasel of Rock Sports Network first brought it to my attention. Some of the quotes that came out of that practice, Chris, are priceless because it almost, I don't know, it almost, as I fish another beer out of here, comes across like he's already preemptively laying the foundation. Like he's already making excuses without saying it. He's like, well, guys, we have a whole bunch of new starters in, and I told these guys... You know, listen, you're going to, as a second-year player, you're going to have to try to figure this out, how you talk to a guy who doesn't know his own job, about how you're about to do your job in a loud place where no one can really hear each other. It's hard enough for an NFL offensive line to gel effectively inside of a short window. It's even harder to find that rhythm when you're doing it in a, on the road in a loud, hostile environment. A colorfully hostile environment at times. And that's exactly what the Ralph needs to be on Sunday. Yeah, Enough so that their starting center is acknowledging that at a time when you'd like to rely on silent counts. Something that requires a lot of chemistry and reliance on muscle memory. Since you can't hear each other. And you can't communicate at the line of scrimmage. You're trying to just do it by, like, feel. You're like, okay, silent count. We're all going to go to the line. It's going to be a four count. Chris, how do you know what a four count is if you've never done it before? Exactly. (laughs) And you can't talk to the guy next to you because you're at the 10-yard line and fans are fucking screaming at the top of their lungs. And you can't hear him. Like, it's just, you can't do it. It's just going to be made more difficult to execute. We, the collective we, need to make sure that we're out there doing our job for as long as physically fucking possible to make it hard on them. Now, I've already heard it talked about, right? Like, I've already heard it talked about how they're probably going to bring out Damar Hamlin ahead of this game. Just to give the the crowd a spark. The players a spark to give everybody something, you know? Do you think that, like, what kind of a pop are we? Like, you're a wrestling fan, Chris. You constantly inundate me with wrestling fucking nomenclature. What kind of a pop are we talking about if DeMar Hamlin is on the sideline or on the field or in a box waving at people? It'd be like the Beatles coming to America. That's cool. I'm old enough to remember Kevin Everett being put on the Jumbotron right before kickoff of a Sunday night football game that everyone else thought was really, really, really important for the Buffalo Bills. It was against the New England Patriots. They flexed the game to Sunday night football, and the Patriots dog-walked our football team in front of the entire country, a game that I'm happy I didn't watch. And this was before the era of DVR, so I just, I've, I still have never seen it, and I don't want to. That emotion, it, it's a brief high, right? It gets everybody picked up. It gets everybody off the starting block. After that, bringing it becomes our responsibility, regardless of what the score is, regardless of what the bills are trailing by, regardless of how much we're leading by. Like, I don't know if you guys can tell right now, but I'm, I'm struggling because my voice is hoarse. It's Wednesday. 
I'm just, I'm still like I'm sucking cough drops and still getting my voice back because I left everything I had out there at the Ralph on Sunday. Go ahead. Just ask Lieutenant Colonel Yulberg, who, while crashing at my house that night before his flight home on Monday, watched me literally falling asleep mid-sentence multiple times trying to watch the end of the Ravens-Bengals game. After a game where I didn't drink that much. I think I only had like five beers during the tailgate because I was just so busy. It, it just, I, like, I left it all out there. I was exhausted. The yelling, the banging on the seats, the trying to pump up the people around me just to be like, guys, let's get up. Let's be excited about this. That's the kind of dedication it's going to take from the people like lucky enough to be in attendance for Sunday's game. In what might be the last game of the 2022-2023 season that the Bills get to play within the confines of their home stadium, you got to go out there and you got to leave everything you have in the stadium with you. Do it for the players. Do it for everybody who wishes they could be at this game but can't. Do it for all the people who have been maybe figuratively and literally dying to see a Super Bowl parade come down Delaware Avenue in downtown Buffalo once in their lifetime. Let's do everything we can to be the difference in this one. And one way or another, send this Bills team out with a bang. That's the way you do it, Chris. That's the, that's the way, one way or the other, right, wrong, win or lose, you end a season like this one for the Buffalo Bills at home. I can't wait. Do you have any predictions? Bills are going to win. Bills are going to win? Yeah, by a tutty. I'll crack them on talking to that. Guys, I feel like, I feel like, I know I say this sometimes, it's probably almost become cliche at this point. This strikes me like I grew up watching Ghostbusters and you start taking cues as a little kid when you watch movies and certain characters you gravitate towards, you know, uh, Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday and Tombstone. Chris has no idea who these people are. Nope. <laughs> you see these things and they start to I don't, I don't know. You just you start to pick up on things and just like, I don't know, they kind of teach you things that like as a little kid, you start to aspire to like, I want to be like that. Whether it's a little kid watching Leonardo lead the Ninja Turtles and you're like, man, I want to, or Raphael and you go, I want to be brave like Raphael. Leonardo, he's the leader, but he seems like a loser. Raphael's the one who seems like he has a set of balls. I want to be like that guy. You start to identify with different things. I guess... I always identified with Peter Venkman from Ghostbusters, who just always had a joke. And at the same time, he's like, he had a lot of, well, <laughs> fuck it. Let's do this energy. And I can respect that now because I feel like him, I, I feel like this is the energy he had when they were going to get ready to cross the streams. It's <laughs> like, you said this was terrible. You said never to do this. And he's explaining it and he goes, fuck it. We're doing it. I love this plan. I can't wait to see what happens. I'll see you guys on the other side. That's this game for the Buffalo Bills. Chris, hottest team in the NFL. Yeah, we're going to win. Guys, we're crossing the streams. I'll see you on the other side. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. This has been your Rock Pop Report. 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.